Welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigich. I'm Roy Vandewater. I'm Chris Connybeer. I'm Derek Neighbors. And joining us today, we have Howard Sublet. Uh, Howard, if you can just say hello to everyone and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. Uh, <laughs> my name is Howard Sublet. I work at uh, Big Visible Solutions out of uh, Boston. Uh, longtime employee of uh, Scrum Alliance. Um, uh, and enjoy the space. Worked with the guys uh, over the years at Integrum and at Gangplank. So glad to join today. It's good to have you. Uh, so today we wanted to talk about a couple different topics. One is kind of shared resources. How do we manage, you know, pulling people off of teams and moving people around? And then also kind of um, multitasking or being responsible for multiple commitments and people being spread too thin. So uh, kind of right off the bat, guys, what do you think? If I'm a manager and I have a couple teams and I've got one person that I'm expecting to be on both teams, uh, is that a good idea, a bad idea? That's a sign of dominance with your ability to be highly efficient with resources. Well, can you break that down into layman terms, Mr. Derek? Yeah, you've just fucked your teams. (laughs) (laughs) Can you smart it up a little bit for the podcast audience? Yeah, so I I think that one of the kind of uh, MBA... Um, fallacies is that you have to be a really good steward of resources, which means you have to slice them infinitely thin. Um, and so it's not uncommon that, you know, especially um, in siloed organizations or, or organizations where you've got very specialized employees, you know, maybe I've got a database architect or a um, UI person and they're the UI person for every single team. I now um, want to slice them across four or five different projects. Um, and what you find is that they can't identify with any of the projects that they're on. They have no ownership of any of the work that they're doing and they're generally overcommitted. Um, yet there's no real visibility of that even in the highest performing of teams. So how do you deal with something like that where you have an architect and he is your primary architect guy and really all of your projects need to have architecting expertise, whatever that means? And how, how are you going to deal with that type of situation? So, so for me, I, I think some of it is to, to start to learn with the damage you're doing, right? So, I mean, I, I think one of the things is, you know, why do you rely on a sole person, right? You know, you're, you're setting yourself up for the hit by the bus syndrome. Like what happens to that person when they decide to leave your organization or something happens to them? You know, how crippled do you become? So it's, you know, you, you probably want more than one person to be responsible for it. But the other thing is, how are you really getting a team to coalesce if the team is looking to a single person to do a certain part of it. Like, how do you get that kind of ownership? I think kind of cross-functionality to me is a core principle in a lot of ways in agile work, right? That we don't sit around and say, well, that's so-and-so's fault. They're the ones that we're supposed to do that as a team. We say, if so-and-so's not available, we'll figure out how to do it at whatever level we can do it at um, to the best of our ability. And, And so I think some of that is getting to the point of how do you start to challenge that mentality Right, which is not going to happen overnight. Um, I'd say the other way that I I would combat it is I would make all of the teams that have shared resources on them absolutely positively use a committed, uh, driven approach in planning so that they know what resources are being committed at what level so that uh, somebody who's a shared resource doesn't overcommit themselves. They don't go, oh, yeah, sure, I could do that. Oh, yeah, sure, I could do that. And then at the end of the, the... the, the session they've overcommitted themselves to you know five different teams 
Yeah, so maybe going beyond just the uh, kind of the commitment point of view, um, one thing I've always liked is, you know, if everything's important, then nothing's important. So if I'm on every team, then, you know, am I really on any team? Um, so what are the kind of team or the people effects of having maybe like a senior developer or a DBA or an architect or something uh, bounce around? Does that person ever really feel like they're on a team? Do they ever get to be part of a team? So I was just having a conversation actually about this with one of our clients today uh, regarding designers. And one of the things that we talked about was the ownership is that we were having issues with the ownership, but also that individual, once we started to talk to them about the issues, they felt like they were being siloed. They saw where these other teams are trying to open up and they're trying to have more involvement and have, you know, better transparency on the team, but they felt like they were being put into a silo because they were being treated as this one-off resource for everything. They weren't involved. And a lot of it came down to also, we were talking about ceremonies. How do we get that person involved with ceremonies when there's multiple, you know, multiple teams being run? Yeah, I, that's something I definitely see is I see um, uh, people that are part of multiple teams uh, when you transition to Agile or when you start to get into the, the thick of it. They get pissed off because they're being asked to go to five different planning meetings, five different stand-ups, you know, five different sprint reviews, and, and basically say, I can't get any work done. I'm in meetings all day, which is kind of the exact opposite of what you try to do in Agile, which is that you, you basically have constant interaction and you minimize the amount of kind of ceremonies or meetings that you do by compressing them. But to me, that's a, that's a complete red flag when somebody in an agile organization screams that they're in too many meetings is that it's probably because they're on too many projects. It sounds like it'd be really hard to, to, to like commit to a project as well. Cause like if I'm, if I'm hopped onto a project just for the design phase, I'd be on that project thinking like, Oh, I just got to stick it out for two or three weeks until this part of design phase is done. And then I'm on to the next project. So I don't have to give it my all. I just have to get through it. Yeah. Plus, plus if you have a design phase, aren't you waterfall? <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, and so I think, you know, the, the idea of being involved in a lot of meetings or that kind of red flag uh, that kind of speaks to um, having maybe multiple commitments. But is there ever a time when it's appropriate to, to for a person that's maybe on a team or maybe an architect or something to have multiple commitments? Is there is there a, a, a low limit or is it a, not at all? Or do you think that's a bad idea in general? I guess my question would be is why are are the individuals making commitments? Because it sounds like the whole team should be making a commitment. And if you have two separate things that need to be committed to, then perhaps the team can decide how best to handle that, and the team should commit to getting both things done, and then whoever's available will do the work. So I've, I've seen this done a couple... I, I guess I would start with saying it depends, right? So I, I think that just, just like distributed teams, um, if, if you don't follow the prescriptions of Agile, you are going to pay a penalty. The question always becomes, is the penalty worth whatever you benefit you get um, in exchange for that. So if, if I say, well, I need this security expert that is just knows the in and out of security up and down, but I can't afford a security expert for every single team I have. Therefore, they're going to have to be a shared resource. I'm making a conscious choice to say the benefit I get from having a specialized security person outweighs the penalty I pay for making them a shared resource. Um, another way I would I would think about using those type of resources, whether they be, you know, kind of more of the, the operation, you know, IT team, whether it be security team, whether it be architects, whether it be database, whatever, or maybe you have one or two of them or three of them, um, but they need to be split across five or six teams. I would actually create them to be their own team and have the other teams treat them like a third party which is I can't commit to work that relies on them 
unless they've already done the work. So if I need a bunch of database changes, those need to be done before I go into my sprint in order to commit to them because just like a third party, you know, they're not committing, so I can't commit to something that they're not committing to, which is another way you can deal with it. Well, Derek, don't you see that the, some of the problems come in when the architect is being shared amongst multiple teams? And I mean, I've seen that before in, in organizations, and, and they have to. They have to share them that way. Just so they can't afford somebody for every team. But the problems come in is when the when the teams feel like that they're actually committing as as part of the team instead of setting outside the team, helping helping uh, with guidance documents and and stuff over how how they're going to write code that uh, over this section of architecture. Do do I see that, or do I see a problem in that? It I, the problem for me is when they when the architect feels like they're a team member in every team, uh, because they can't really commit to every team because they're doing nothing but going from meeting to meeting to meeting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I don't see very often that they actually feel like they're part of the team. Um, I, I I usually see that they feel like they're not not part of the team, or they identify more with one team than you know other teams. Um, I, I think generally it's very hard to be committed to five teams at once. Like, I mean, not, not only is it a time constraint thing, I think it's an emotional constraint thing. It's very hard to, you know, make bonds and, and have trust with, you know, five independent teams that have five different visions that have five different commitments. I mean, that's that's very difficult to honor. Right. Yeah, and um, we've been talking a lot about, you know, architects and DBAs and kind of the development side of things. But, you know, Howard, I had worked with you in the capacity of a product owner. Um, do you think that, you know, had you been the product owner of multiple projects or multiple teams, uh, you could have been as effective, you know, as a product owner role immune from this kind of splitting problem, or do you think you'd see the same issues? Oh, you, uh, you, you definitely have the same problem. Um, and I, I would assume unless that, uh, um, the teams that you're working with and the product that you're working in is, is so closely aligned that it, it feels like one to you. Uh, it, it, I, I, I don't know that we as human beings context switch as well as people make us out to. Um, I think it's more difficult than, than what we, we, we pretend it is. Yeah, one thing I see is that some organizations seem to struggle with the idea of like a scrum master, where if you have, say, five different teams, um, do you have five different scrum masters? And it seems like some people have a hard time making that decision maybe from like a budget perspective. but. You know, is, can you be an effective scrum master for five different teams, or is that the same same kind of thing we're saying here, where you probably can't? I, I, I would, for me, I would say it depends. It would depend upon the the, the maturity level of the teams. Um, in the beginning, it would be very difficult to be a scrum master for multiple teams. Um, as the teams matured, um, I think that would become easier. You would have a primary team you're focusing on and a secondary team you're kind of working as a coach or a shepherd on. Um, so depend upon your skill set and the maturity of the teams, I, th I think that role could could work that way. Derek, you may disagree with that. but Well, I mean, I, again, it goes back to, you know, everything's a trade-off. So, I mean, I think that the, the more ways you slice a scrum master, the less effective they're going to be. And it's a matter of how much are you willing to pay that penalty. In the case of you already have high-performing teams, you know, maybe the penalty is not all that high, so it's, you know, very palatable to do so. In the, right. the case of new teams, the penalty might be extreme enough that you're not willing to do it. And I think some of it goes back to the capability of the Scrum Master. I mean, I think, you know, a more experienced Scrum Master might be able to balance, you know, a team or two um, where a new one might not be able to. 
Um, and I, I, I think it's, it's, it's rough. I mean, I, I think these are trade-offs that people make from product owner to scrum master to database person to security to programmer to testing to you name it. Um, you know, the, the real thing that people are talking about is budget, right? Like they, they don't want to allocate enough budget to do things properly. And, and so, you know, it's all a trade-off, you know, and where, where are you going to cut costs? Um, and I, I think the problem is that people aren't real or aren't honest about the real penal- penalty about some of the ways they cut costs. So they say, you know, so-and-so's, you know, Howard's a really great product owner. So, you know, he'll have no problem, you know, being a product owner for three different products, right? Um, and, and that's kind of the lie we tell each ourselves. And I think that, that Agile's kind of role is to expose the truth. And I think it does that fairly well in that when you share resources, you get poor results. And I, I think that usually surfaces up. Do you think it's it's in in some ways um, the way Agile has been sold? Um, I, I've bumped across quite a few people that really feel like that the number one benefit of going Agile is that it's number one it's faster, but it's cheaper too as well. We we can deliver quicker and it's less cost than the way we were doing it. Um, and so they're they're kind of going with a mindset of of a cost savings in a way. I mean, I, I think there is some of that that happens. I mean, I, def- I definitely think that we're marketing the wrong things. Like, I, I don't right. think we should be marketing faster and cheaper. I think that those right. are byproducts that happen as part of the process, but they shouldn't be the necessary end game um, of the process. I, I think what happens is, yeah, you can move faster, but it's not immediately. Um, and you do have to make significant change to get that speed and quality improvement. Right, and the, uh, and the U is the entire organization, yes, not just the development that's, that's correct. And, and, and I think that, that that's where I see a lot of, well, we made this big change over here in developers, so, you know, we can skimp on product owners. Well, no, not really, you know. Or we made this really big investment in product owners so we can s- skimp on developers, right? And, and it, it's not that simple, right? It's the, uh, I think people still have the, um, uh, you know, try to have a nine babies in nine months problem, right? I mean, you know, there's still you you can go faster, but you know, you 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 can't you can't beat physics, so to speak, in some of these cases, and that's what we're really up against. So to, well, to wrap, oh, go ahead, Howard. I was going to say the Duggars beat that statistic, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> so to, to wrap up, uh, um, is there is it possible for a team to become mature enough, where or maybe two teams or three teams or whatever, to become mature enough where you could move resources around or is that always going to be a detriment and that's something that nobody should really strive for i think i I agree with derek that it's probably always going to be a detriment i think you might be able to minimize that detriment a lot by having more efficient teams but you're always going to lose something so so i I want to make a small clarification i I think it's absolutely positively possible to move people around within teams just not within a sprint or within an iteration so if, if i'm bouncing between three teams within a sprint i don't think that that's uh, 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 I think there's going to be a significant penalty. If I'm on one team, one sprint, and another team, another sprint, there is a penalty, but not a significant penalty we, in that. We had Adam Shroka on a few weeks ago, and one of the things he was talking about was, uh, it's called like software craftsman tourism or something like that, where like developer or companies would essentially do foreign exchange programs between each other with their developers to kind of like gain a new perspective. And I, I think that while you probably get a penalty uh, in in velocity and a, and probably a penalty in like the, the team's cohesiveness, you might get a potential gain in innovation just from adding that new perspective to the team that they didn't have before. That's a good point. Uh, so, Howard, as our special guest, you kind of get the last word. Uh, is there anything, uh, tool or, um, you know, anything really that, that's been uh, interesting to you lately that you're kind of real hot on and you'd like to share with the, 
the audience? Absolutely not. I, I can't. I can't think of anything that uh, that that's just really, really zinging me right now. The audience gets a, a view into your boring life, then. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's absolutely. Too bad. Totally boring right now. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Howard. We uh, we appreciate you joining us today, and uh, join us again for another episode of the Scrumcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. <clears throat> Hi, this is Mark Rabin from leanblog.org. I'm looking forward to being a future guest on Scrumcast, but you can also listen to my podcast if you go to leanpodcast.org. I cover lean from a pretty broad perspective, including manufacturing, healthcare, and startups and software. You can listen to podcasts that I've done with Eric Reese, um, with Brent Cooper and Patrick Vlaskovitz on um, customer development. So you can find all of these on iTunes if you search for Lean Blog or go to leanpodcast.org.